0: I used to like books, and then I read this one. This is Bibliobile. Every episode, my fiancé Sue and I check out a book for the other to read. We try to find the worst book we can, and I think the podcast is over because... Because I found it.
1: This week, Mick read and hated and had his life ruined by Midnight Sins by Laura Lee. I somewhat enjoyed reading Hip Check by Deirdre Martin.
0: Welcome back to the wonderfully decorated, the sparsely decorated, the beautifically decorated. It's all three because it's a walk-in closet and I don't really care about adjectives because I hate books now. Uh, My name is Mick Dickinson. I am the co-host of this podcast along with my fiance and soon-to-be wife, Susan Johnson. She is also here. Hi. There she is. And frankly, I feel like I should not be talking until you give me an apology. That is how bad this book is today.
1: I refuse. I refuse to give you an apology. I have won the terrible book exchange for all time.
0: For all time? Well, for that's time. it. You heard it. Podcast is done. Uh, hope you liked it. Episode 3 is all you get, so goodbye forever, Matt. Um, Both of our listeners will be sorely disappointed. Well, maybe I should re-explain. We are still on the third uh, episode of this podcast, what the uh, the purpose of this podcast is. It is to find each other the worst uh, library book that we can, check it out, and exchange it to the other person, and they have to read it sight unseen, and then explain it back to the other person. Explanation unheard, I suppose. So, I have not heard a single word about Sue's book from Sue, except that she thinks that she won this exchange, which is probably right, because she has heard a lot of this from me. What do you... <laughs> So that's about what's on par for today's book. Uh, As you heard in the intro, my book for today is Laura Lee. I always say Laura Lie, but Laura Lee's Midnight Sins. It's the first time in print, and hopefully the last time she ever gets to put words to a page.
1: And I got to read Deirdre Martin's Hip Check, one of the books in her New York Blades series. And we'll talk more about that later.
0: Yes, we will. We'll be back to pick you up later. Um, But we originally went to the library not looking for Laura Lee's Midnight Sins and for Deidre Martin's Hip Check. We went with a very different intention in mind. Uh, we each independently came to this conclusion and then got up the nerve to tell the other that we were planning on doing it. Found that uh, we had both come to it. And then, summarily, we both abandoned it. But Sue, could you explain what we both had the inclination originally to do
1: so our original plan for this episode was to go to the library and find the worst fantasy novels that we could find and here's the problem with finding the worst fantasy novels bad fantasy novels are virtually indistinguishable from amazing fantasy novels by cover alone and that's pretty much how we pick out these books because it's like an unwritten rule of publishing fantasy books that the cover art has to be terrible Whether the book is ridiculous or amazing, the cover art all sucks. And so it is impossible to pick out an actually awful fantasy novel unless you're like halfway through it and have decided whether it's good or not.
0: I even tried to look down a little bit, maybe get some terrible, terrible sci-fi, you know, a lot of capital letters, a lot of very uh, clear uh, allegories and all that. But all sci-fi just sounds kind of dumb. When you get down to it, even the world-class sci-fi, if someone were to give you an elevator pitch for it, you'd be like, that's stupid, I'm not reading that. So it's very hard to tell good from bad without actually reading it, which, oh, heaven forbid we have to read terrible books in this exchange, right? (laughs) I mean, that's
1: not the point. That's That's not the point at all. That's not
0: the point at all. Well, at least we don't have to assign them to ourselves, uh, which is definitely not the point, because we here assign them to each other. Uh, and in fact, the book that I assigned Sue, I thought was going to be pretty good. There's a sexy man on the cover, a woman wearing a hockey sweater and no pants. So combined, they make one fully dressed person and one totally naked person. And if, as if the uh, purpose of this book is not enough, his six-pack abs are flexing right next to a giant hockey stick, uh, which could not be a clear phallus symbol if two pucks were hanging off of the end of it. <laughs> so... This is Hip Check by Deidre Marn. I was pretty excited to find it, but uh, I learned to my dismay that I was a little overconfident. Sue?
1: So, I, I feel like I have to explain the process of Mick picking this book out. Normally, we just wander through the stacks independently, get our crappy book, and then we meet in the main area of the library to exchange. This time, Mick actually made me go to the section where he found the book, because this book is so much more awful in context (laughs) because so it's I mean it's a hockey themed romance novel Uh, I mean it's it's pretty self-explanatory and predictable but the best part is that when you look at the section of the shelf where all of Deirdre Martin's books are they're all exactly the same and they all have titles like hip check body check breakaway Fair play. The penalty box.
0: So you're saying that if you wanted to substitute your entire library, you could just do a, a line switch at the same time. Just change out of lines. This is a sports joke, Sue. Oh, okay. A line change. I don't know what that is. In, in Okay. Okay. In <laughs> hockey, all five players come out at once. All four. Five players come out at once, the goalies say.
1: Oh, they didn't mention that in the book. I hope
0: not. <laughs> or else this couple is into some freaky stuff. Listen, hon, I'm going to flip out with my second liner here. <laughs> I'm more of a power play kind of guy. Aww. Oh.
1: Anyway, <laughs> back to the conversation. So all of these books that are on the shelf that are, have been written by Deirdre Martin, they're all pretty much identical to each other. They all follow guys who are part of the New York Blades hockey team and various women and the blurbs on the back are pretty much identical it's basically like these two young attractive straight people are put together in an (laughs) unconventional situation what will happen i don't know and that's pretty much it for every single book and i actually looked up the plot summaries of some of her other books and throughout this book um many of his teammates many of the main characters teammates and their significant others are mentioned
0: and (laughs) there's an extended universe yeah
1: there's like an extended universe i wonder if there's a fandom i wonder if they have conferences (laughs) um but so like the characters from her other books are referenced in this one And this is her most recent book, so it definitely spoiled all of her other books for me, because now I know that everyone lives happily ever after. It's so unfortunate. (laughs) Um, She does have a handful of books that are not hockey-related, but they are all about firefighters, and curiously enough, the female lead in this book, her dad and brother, are firefighters, so I bet there's connections there, too!
0: (laughs) Crazy. It's crazy. Like, it's like if someone wrote a novel about letting you see their train table collection, you're like, okay, I get it, you have hobbies. People where the famous ones are attractive and the unfamous ones are but ugly.
1: Like, yeah. have you ever
0: seen a firefighter in real life? He looks like platonic, your dad. Yeah. A lot of They're, them... All firefighters yeah. are a little portly. They usually have a mustache or are balding in some way. Yeah. They're not calendar dudes. And hockey players... Literally wear dentures, because they don't have any teeth. Because they don't have any teeth.
1: Not in this book, though. They are all fabulously handsome in this book.
0: I suppose.
1: Absolutely fabulously handsome. So getting into the meat of Hip Check, um, I thought I was in for a rough ride when in the first sentence and a half of this book we are introduced to two characters. Our main character, whose name is Asa Sari, and his (laughs) teammate and friend Ulf Torkelson. (laughs) So, um this is like a weird thing that happens a lot in the book. So apparently none of the players on the New York Blades are originally from America. They're all from northern European countries. They're from Ireland, England, Sweden, Finland, um, and they all apparently feel like it's necessary to reference their national origins or the national origins of their teammates in every single dialogue. It was so weird, and part of it is, I think, that she doesn't really know how to write dialogue between men, which, when you write hockey-themed romance novels, that prolifically makes sense, because she probably doesn't get out much. But all of their conversations are really awkward. Like, it's, they're just way too many, like, oh, fuck you dudes, and, like, really unnecessary sports references. And then, like, even for hockey players talking to each other, it seems over the top. And so all of their insults are things like, you're a Swedish idiot. You can be a real Finnish fuck. Who are you, the Irish Dr. Phil? Like, why do we need to acknowledge (laughs) what country every single person is from in every insult that we give?
0: To be fair, the alliteration of Finnish fuck is pretty great.
1: No, it's pretty great, but, like, that, that insult is used multiple times throughout the book. And, like, it just seems really, really strange. (laughs) <laughs> um but so other than the weird names and the awkward insults and bad dialogue, the rest of this book is just completely and utterly predictable. Like it's not bad. There I mean, mm-hmm. like I didn't I didn't feel like throwing it across the room. I didn't hate myself for reading it. There were moments where I actually kind of enjoyed some of it. Wow. Yeah. Um Dang like, it. it is like it's just predictable. Like I read the blurb on the back and I could have outlined for you the basic plot points, like oh, um, so reading from the back, Asa, his sister unexpectedly dies, oh no. and he is left in charge of his eight-year-old niece whose name is Nell. He has no idea what to do with children, so he hires a nanny. I'm like, oh, so they're gonna hate each other when they first meet. She's gonna think he's really irresponsible. They're eventually gonna fall in love and sleep together something will happen and they'll have a fight and then they'll get back together at the end
0: like,
1: <laughs> from reading the blurb on the back i could tell that that was going to be the main structure of the book and within like the first three four maybe chapters i could fill in some of the extra details like um her... Can I take a
0: guess real quick guess
1: okay
0: uh when the daughter or the niece what's the, the niece, niece, the the niece. Name? now now uh, when she is bad, he does not put her in timeout. He puts her in the penalty box. Does he give her, like, two minutes for roughing if she, like, beats up on her little brother? No, but that would
1: have actually been really funny. No, she doesn't have a little brother. No. She's an only child and an orphan. It's, like, super sad.
0: Was she all over Twist?
1: Oh, so here was the other thing. Like, please,
0: please... Dad, can I have your score? <laughs> a score?
1: But, like, I don't know. So like you you love this little girl character like the the author actually writes her really well and you feel really bad for her like her mom died and she never knew her dad and you wound up you like you find yourself wanting her to be happy like this poor sad little girl character but at the same time she's like no real kid ever she's never bad she never mouths off she never gets in trouble
0: makes the nanny job really easy apparently on yeah.
1: doing it. well and she concentrates on asa for sure Um, but some of the details that kind of fill in eventually, um, Michelle's dad is in poor health. Michelle's the nanny. Her name's Michelle. Um, Michelle's dad is in poor health and he does not like the idea of her going to work for Asa because he has a playboy reputation and, (laughs) um, Michelle's dad is worried that she's going to get taken advantage of or, like, find herself in an uncomfortable situation so naturally, since her dad already has these viewpoints of the guy that she's working for, it's a great idea to conceal the fact that you're dating this guy from your dad and then invite him over to have Christmas with all of you with the eight-year-old girl who's super excited that you're dating.
0: Like, Well, you want to break it to him completely. generally.
1: Yeah. So then right after Christmas, dad has a heart attack.
0: Doop! <laughs> yeah,
1: She blames herself. She what? thinks it's her fault. What? Really? I know. I think it's her fault, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. I actually found myself being kind of sad when they broke up. Like, oh. despite how ridiculous this book is and how kind of boring and really predictable, like, she does kind of make you like the characters. Hey, predictable pe-
0: people deserve people, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, like there In were fact, parts I of bet it... they'll get them. Yeah, I bet you're right. But no, it was, you know, it was, for the most part, pretty good. There was one part of it that I found to be incredibly disturbing. Um, the main character, and this was just referenced one time, it was not a big thing, but it stuck with me through the whole time I was reading this book. The main character, Asa, puts his coffee beans in the fridge. Yeah? Coffee beans don't go in the fridge.
0: Some people keep them in the freezer to keep them fresh.
1: I think that's weird.
0: That disturbed
1: me for so long.
0: Well, here's the thing. Is he a cold-blooded hockey player whose ice seems to run through his veins? (laughs) Or a hot-blooded, you know, temper-headed man who seems to melt the very icy skates on?
1: That one, the second one. The second one. Mm -hmm. But
0: even his coffee beans, something hot, are kept in the fridge, which is something cold. The allegories and contradictions are really driving home this literary nail of, you know, the duality of man and boning. Zamboning. Oh,
1: gross. No, see, I think she actually had, like, a page limit that she was supposed to meet and just <laughs> added a bunch of <laughs> extraneous things that didn't really need to be in there.
0: I gotta crank out four more hockey sex books by Tuesday. <laughs>
1: right? So, on the subject of, like, unnecessarily di- unnecessary dialogue or weird things that are included for no reason, so there's this one scene that, as far as I could tell, didn't have any real purpose, um, Asa, go, he has a fight with his niece now, and he, he gets really upset, um, and so he goes to visit his teammate, Rory, and Rory's wife, who were the subject of a previous book. And <laughs> Is this The Bachelor? Pretty much. And so, yeah, it's like they get advice from previous couples. Yeah, just previously like on hockey yeah, sex books. Exactly. Um, So, they have the conversation, the following conversation, and taking it out of context, it doesn't really make it that much different than reading it in context, so here it is. Rory says to Asa, What about you, you Finnish prick? Anything exciting going on with your relatives? Asa, In a manner of speaking, yes. Rory, In a manner of speaking? Since when do you talk like that? Are you hooked on that feckin' Downton Abbey like everyone else in the world? Rory's wife, You leave Downton alone. Like why is any of this conversation necessary? But they're, so they're Irish, both of these two are Irish, and she tries to write. They would hate Downton Abbey, right? And so she tries. They would really like um, Tom Tom Branson, though he's Irish. But so th- she tries to write in their Irish accents. But I don't think she actually knows what an Irish accent is, so she doesn't do it very well. Just and like then me. I feel like she was just sitting down at her computer and being like, "What would Irish people talk about?" I bet they would talk about Downton Abbey.
0: That's sounds British, right?
1: And so that's another like that's also an example of that thing that pretty much all romance novelists do where they include a lot of like pop culture references and things that are like culturally relevant when the book is being written to try to make it seem like hip and cool but it winds up just really dating the book like I feel like in three years people are gonna be like
0: down, Navi. That show's been over forever. The way you're talking about this book, I'm pretty sure you want to date this book.
1: No. Hey. Well, you
0: were talking about uh, like unnecessary parts of the book. Yes. I really couldn't believe that whole chapter about like her time of the month. Time of the month, you know. Was titled something like "Blood on the Ice" or.
1: Oh, gross. <laughs> um. So, speaking of blood on the ice and dirty things let's talk about the sex scenes baby just i don't know so there are several sex scenes as there are in hockey themed romance novels
0: yeah and the genre
1: most of them like they're not particularly great they're not particularly bad they're just like sort of nice average run-of-the-mill romance novel sex Mm. scenes like kind of in line with the book as a whole, really. But you say the...
0: above board.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: it's a <laughs> so, hockey reference. I know, but I you feel made like. Made a gross noise like I a know. sex reference.
1: Well, we're talking about the sex scenes, and you make a hockey reference, and I just feel like everything's going to be gross. Um, so we'll the, see what the only one that's like really bad is the first one, and there were so many parts of it that made me really uncomfortable, like when they first kiss. It's like she has she did a really good job actually of like building the sexual tension between these two characters like there aren't any sex scenes until like almost two-thirds of the way through the book and so she like builds all this tension and then he comes home drunk from a date and she is waiting up for him because she's really mad that he's out and then he bailed out on like his night that he was supposed to be home with his niece they have a fight whatever And then, like, all of a sudden, in the middle of the fight, he is making out with her. But not in, like, a sexy, I'm gonna kiss you to shut you up kind of a way. That's sexy. I mean, like, sometimes in romance novels, it's
0: supposed to
1: be be sexy. Please don't ever do that to me. (laughs) Um, But it just seemed super out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, he's kissing her. And, I don't know, like, I just feel like throughout the majority of the book, she did a really good job of, like, slowly building tension between these two characters and then just killed it all with the first sex scene
0: that was so weird. Yeah. Drunken drunken makeouts are never never start a good relationship. No.
1: And then in that first sex scene she also used some like really awkward dialogue and things like that. And I was really hoping she wouldn't because I felt like this book was just delightfully average in every way and could have been fine and then she had to just make it weird. So in the first sex scene, Michelle is like talking dirty to Asa, and he's really surprised. He wasn't expecting that. She's normally kind of like a timid girl. Mm-hmm.
0: She isn't known so for hooking.
1: Yeah. So she's doing all of this. Is that another hockey reference? Yeah. I see. You keep making this. They're going right over my head.
0: Um, oh, that's so So she's a. Uh, oh, stop.
1: <laughs> Let me finish my I'm sentence. Sorry. Did
0: he try to get in her crease? Oh, <laughs>
1: just i'm done i quit
0: okay bite. now i don't have to talk about my book yeah
1: so she's like talking dirty she says a bunch of things and he's like really shocked by it but thinks it's really hot and so he's like jesus who are you and the way that it's written in the book she like pushes herself back away from him and looks at him and goes i'm the nanny and it was just like get out of here friend. Drescher it just made me feel so icky I did not like it at all other than the weird first sex scene and like some of the awkward dialogue and like for the most part
0: I didn't hate reading this book I've run into that as well uh is before we started the podcast but I read how to or not how to train your dragon um, how to
1: marry a duke
0: how to marry a duke and um you know, I wanted to hate it because it was, a, it was a 19th century sex book, you know, and it was all about decorum and matrimony or what do you call it, courting, and it was dumb and stupid. Yeah, who likes matrimony? Yeah. Jerks. Uh, and it was all about the problems of the rich during a time of unbelievable suffering for the poor, and then I was like, oh man, they're going to end up doing it, but I really want that to happen. It's really weird, and you've since made me read sex books, and I'm like, bring back that how to marry a duke thing, because it's pretty great. Right? Yeah.
1: It was, I mean, like, it, it was by no means a good book or a great book, but I'm like, I I mildly enjoyed reading it, thought it was okay.
0: So, like, the Minnesota Wild of books.
1: I know who those are.
0: <laughs> Your grandmother just suggests... <laughs> That you know exactly who those are.
1: I do. I've heard that name before.
0: Yes. It's a you, hockey team.
1: I know. Uh, I knew that.
0: One thing I do want to talk about, the New York Blades. The I understand, New York Blades. Yes. I understand that they are going for the the knife symbolism along with the skate. But do you think that more sports teams should be named after their shoes? Like in in uh, football, it would be like the San Francisco cleats. <laughs> the Cleveland sneakers. Yeah. And then their mascot is like a Hamburglar type dude. Just sneaking around, peeping in windows. You call him down. Tom. Oh. Anyway. So, I, uh,
1: so there you go. There it is. Hip Check by Deirdre Martin. NTB. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it is what it bad. is. I don't think I will be reading breakaway or the penalty box or Mm. body check anytime soon because I already know how they end
0: this is your Stanley Cup final book that you will be reading
1: no um, Uh, I won the the Stanley Cup final by giving you the book that I gave you I won I win forever
0: just because there's fighting in hockey does not mean that you win by making me miserable
1: I I want you all to know this book was so bad that multiple times Mick just chucked it across the room. And he is not the kind of guy that throws things when he's angry. Except for I mean, tantrums. This book might have made him angrier than anything I've ever seen before. This is gonna our be five years of knowing
0: this each This was going to be a talking point safer later, but this book that I'm about to talk about legitimately affected our relationship. It did. Like it caused fights over small things because i was in a bad mood from having to read this and sue would be like hey what's up and i'd be like nothing while i was reading it because i really did not want to be reading it if a book can make you sad and awful in real life it must be a pretty good no i'm just kidding it's so bad that it ruins everything including the most wonderful part of my life bibliophile. no i'm just kidding susan
1: I tried to make out with him, and he was like, no, I don't want to.
0: Well, I just finished reading this book. No, I just finished reading the out scene in the book, and I was like, I don't want to be associated with anything in this book ever. I don't know if I'm going to go to Colorado, because it takes place in Colorado. I don't know if I'm going to stay up to ever see Midnight again. I mean, I can't help but commit some sins, but, you know, uh, the book, okay, the name of the book is Midnight Sins. It's by Laura Leigh. Lee. Lee. Um, I have to think that Midnight Sins are the best kind of sins, but it turns out that they are the worst. Uh, this book, I'm going to come right on and say it. I did not finish it. When I first started this, I I promised to myself, I swore to myself, that there would never come a book that would be so bad that I would not finish it. Because I, I did not want to be like, Let's get each other the worst books. No, I don't want to read this one. I didn't want to be that dude. But this goes beyond that. This is... And I put this in capitals when I say it. The impossible book. It is impossible to read. I wrote that, the impossible book, that's how I describe the book, on page 12. And when page 12 already has you saying, oh, no, this book's impossible, then you're in trouble. The best part is that it kept getting worse from there. It, the book opens with just a stunning second and third paragraph. I, I just there's gonna be a lot of things I'm not going to read in this book because it is gross. But here we go. These are the first three paragraphs, read verbatim. Chapter one, Cambria, ugh, at thirteen, it would have been amusing if it hadn't had the potential to be so dangerous. First of all, good try at opening sentence, and then you had to throw in qualifiers. The, like hadn't had to the hadn't had the potential. What? Jamie Flanagan Kramer, three names, watched as her younger sister Cammie sneaked another shy look at Rafer Callahan, one of Corbin County's three bad boys and the man Jamie's deceased husband had claimed as a blood brother. That's one sentence. This is one sentence. Jamie Flanagan Kramer watched her as her younger sister Cammie sneaked another shy look at Rafer Callahan, one of Corbin County's three bad boys and the man Jamie's deceased husband had claimed as a bro- blood brother.
1: Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you read your next paragraph if you want to, but I do want to come back to the fact that the main male character's name is Rafer. Yeah, Rafer. Rafer? Referred to as Rafe. I feel like that is one letter away from being a really bad connotation.
0: Every, everyone's name, he's in this book, he's already a bad connotation. But there's, think of all the things that we have in this second sentence, second paragraph of this book. Jamie Feig and Kramer, okay, assumably main character, check, introduced, watched as her younger sister, Cammie, all right, another character, you know, that's fine, sneaks a shy look at Rafer Callahan, third character, one of Corbin County's, all right, I'll assume that's where we are, so that's the setting, Uh, three bad boys, so uh, two more characters, and the man, Jamie's, okay, back to the first character, deceased husband, all right, what are we at? Sixth character. Uh, had claimed as a blood brother. Backstory. That's in one sentence. I couldn't hold the book because I was holding too many fingers up trying to count all the things I was doing. Alright. So. Third sentence. Or third paragraph.
1: Also third sentence, I think. Also
0: third sentence, but not it's not the whole paragraph. He was also the main... Oh. Uh, we'll have to back up for this to make sense, but spoiler alert, it doesn't. Jamie Flang and Kramer watch as her younger sister, Cammie, sneaks into their shy look at Rafer County and one of Corbin Bad Boys, three bad boys, Corbin County's three bad boys, and the man Jamie's deceased husband had claimed as a bread brother. He was also the man she was sleeping with, but that wasn't as important as the fact that he was her best friend. And he knew, just as well as she did, that sleeping with him was her attempt to stay close to the husband who was forever gone. He had been Ty's best friend, his blood brother, and the only man she knew who even came close to her soulmate.
1: Wait, so Jamie's sleeping with Rafer, or... Cammy sleeping with Rafer.
0: Oh, at this point in the book, Jamie is sleeping with Rafer.
1: Because he was best friends with her dead husband?
0: Best friends with her dead husband. Okay. He is this, one of this, Corbin County's three bad boys.
1: This seems like a lot to keep track of in the oh, first three sentences. Uh,
0: I was drawing a family tree on page three because <laughs> this thing this book reads like a, a a brainstorming session. It's like societal pressure. A really conservative county that hates these boys for some reason. There's a conspiracy afoot. Uh, serial killers. 10,000 characters. Why not have some awfulness? And it's all this whole thing. And it's just so hard to keep track of. And you just get the urge to put the book down and say, you know what, never mind. I'm never doing this again. Like, not just talking about the book but the concept of literature and then i reached page 4 <laughs> so i had to keep going i did not finish this book i made it to a page i made it to page 104 out of an unbelievable 389 pages i made it through less than a quarter of or less than a third of this book and here is what i learned about the plot so, moving on from the plot that I know, Jamie, the person who we were originally introduced to, we learned everything about her dead husband. He was a Marine and uh, a quarter Native American, and therefore was referred to in the Marines as a Navajo warrior. I'm not even sure that was his tribe, because I'm not sure that there are too many Navajo left in Colorado, which is where this takes place. Um, she, we learned about her, her dead husband, her relationship with her dad and sister, uh, at the who's Cammy. Which is a name for a type of shirt and not a person. Everyone's names in this book are terrible. And in fact, I'm sure that the author actually intentionally names these people confusingly. There's the Barons of Corbin County, who are the rich dudes that hate the brothers or something. Yeah, right? Um, and two of their three names are James. Well, that's just rude. There's Calhans and Kramers, who are unrelated, except for the fact that they're banging. But the two of the three families are named just something very similar as well. Corbin, Kramer, uh, there's Crow, Logan, and Rafer Callahan. Okay, I'm just going to read this to give, give you an idea. Crow, Logan, and why I had to draw a family tree. Crow, Logan, and Rafer Callahan were each the sons of a reigning princess of one of those founding families and the Callahan brother she had married. Okay, founding families. married Mothers married the separate sons of those no it's the daughter that are from the founding families and the brothers are married okay many said these three unions were born of the murders of their brother's parents the couples had died in a suspicious accident on a mountain road so the the cousins dads are the brothers the brothers parents were murdered in a suspicious accident on a mountain road Within days of their deaths, the Rafferty, Corbin, and Roberts Patriarchs had arrived at the courthouse with a bill of sale and proof of purchase of the extensive Callahan lands bought by these three men. When their sons, Samuel, Dave, and Benjamin, returned from the military for who are Samuel, Dave, and Benjamin, we don't know. That's the first time we're introduced to them. This is page three. I cannot sum up the level of awfulness that this book represents. Every single sentence is the worst. <laughs> like, I could flip to any random sentence. In fact, let us do it. From a part of the book I haven't even read. Uh, another bitter loss of her past, Kami thought as she saw the young woman entering the bar with another familiar face. That one sentence, that I read at random, has two another's in it. Uh, Amelia Sorensen. I have not met her yet. Uh, she and Kami had once met his closest sisters. Apparently not... Because I read all about Amelia or about Cammy, and I had not heard anything about Amelia. By the way, Jamie, I, I didn't even remember to tell you this because it bears so little on the story. Jamie, who we learned about for uh, two chapters uh, across a time skip, which becomes a, a thing in this book, uh, across a time skip of two weeks, uh, gets murdered. I think she tries is trying. The author is trying to make it be like a a, a Law and Order cold open, you know. Where someone's on the phone and they're like, I need those papers by Monday or else the (laughs) boss is going to have my... Oh, it's a dead body. And you're like, whoa, it's a surprise. I thought it was going to be about this lawyer. But that's how long a law and order cold open lasts. This is what you know about the people in that cold uh, cold open. They're walking somewhere. They're a business person in New York. Uh, They seem to be angry. And on the phone, they have found a dead body. That's... Like, so much less than we know about Jamie. And then she dies. There's a time skip of two weeks because her sister becomes sick. What happens in the first scene? She amicably bla- breaks up with Rafe. Or Wraith. Nothing. Wait, the...
1: The... Cammy?
0: No, 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 no. Jamie. Jamie. The original... The older sister amicably breaks up with Rafe. The story describes the city's weird youth program that is going on. That for some reason adults are at then they amicably break up it skips two weeks cammy is sick with bronchitis jamie goes to go get her medicine she is drugged and murdered uh later it flips another 18 hours to where logan is or i'm sorry who is logan yeah exactly uh that is literally one of my notes who is logan for throughout the first th- i wrote this note on page 10 and it goes on long beyond that there's no physical or expository di- uh, uh, description of anyone.
1: It's just dialogue.
0: It's not just dialogue. It's like, I don't know what color Cammie's hair is, or how tall she is, or if she's pretty, or I don't know if Rafe has rough knuckles from all the fighting he's done. That might be a clue into his past. There's just like, just what they do grabbing a cup of coffee and putting it to their lips. There's just dialogue and there's just growling at each other. They're always growling and grimacing. And there's no just said. It is one of the like the secret rules of writing that, at a certain point, when you are first learning how to write, you want to make everything, oh, she laughed this, and mm-hmm. he chuckled that. and yeah. You know, he yelled this, and she whispered that. And at a certain point, your writing has to carry itself across descriptions. The dialogue has to show what is happening in the scene. And you just say said. That's all you need to say, because we're not actually reading those words, we're reading what they're saying. You're the, that is there for reference. But this is how we go in between dialogues on page 97. Uh, Rafe arched his, his brow quizzically. Okay, so this is every time a dialogue ends. He arched his brow quizzically. His cousin asked rather than answering. Uh, shook, he shook his head. He finally sighed. Rafe growled. He grimaced. Rafe growled. Logan's lip thinned. Ref hid a smile. Rafe suggested. Logan grunted. Rafe stilled his laughter. Rafe asked, "So there's no? There wasn't a whole said in that whole thing, and they always talk about boning and hunger, and damned, and it's the same eight words over and over again, and the sentences themselves don't go anywhere. So this is sex book. There is an entire chapter and a half that is one sex scene." They have sex Ew. twice in it. It's twenty four pages long. Ugh. It talks about juices a little bit too much and seed and folds. I and know. she is obsessed with the clitoris, which I know we all wish guys were, but like get off on it every once in a while. I think that's and, the point. Hey, oh but <laughs> after the first sex scene, she's in the midst of an orgasm. And she gets sad about the way her mom is addicted to painkillers. And then, assumably 30 seconds later in real time, they do it again. And the sentences themselves are terrible. This is a paragraph break. His tongue left her. Aching nipples. Her nipples ached. Yeah! You said that already. You on just me. said that. There's just 8th grader sentences. 8th grader sentences in this book. She couldn't seem to stop crying, sobbing actually. So just say sobbing, I don't get it. I don't understand, and I'm not the only one. No, I'm not the only one. It's critically awful, it's hated. I don't have time to go into everything that I got by page 104. We looked it up because I got to 104. I can't find a plot summary because no one wants to read this book close enough to write a plot summary. This is what i found where a lot of one star reviews on goodreads and this is where people go to like say hey this i like this book this is the top review and frankly i agree with it this book is a train wreck an absolute and complete train wreck i don't know that i've ever read a book before so full of confusing nonsensical backstory endless repetition of pointless info and so full of errors, ranging from standard typo- typos to grammar problems to an endless parade of mismatching details. Which is bad when there's so many effing details. The problem with this book, a book published by a best-selling author by a well-known publishing house, is completely shocking. So, I assume she is an editor. But I, reading it, could not tell if literally anyone had read it before I, uh, me. If this review had not been published in 2011, I would think that I was the first person, including the author, to read this book.
1: <laughs> so, it, I I would like to cut in for a minute to explain how I picked this book. So the the title caught my eye because Midnight Sins had to be crappy, and then looking at the cover, it's just two like supposed to be attractive people. I just, feel sorry like, for really them. Really close up, the girl looks like Taylor Swift. And then I looked at the back, and even the blurb on the back doesn't make any sense. Then I opened it up, and there are, um, uh, what is it? Like, blurbs or praise from other authors about her next book. (laughs) And that was what really sold me, because the praise for the second book in this series includes things like the plot stays on track, The characters are developed like really basic things that aren't compliments, but just things that books should be. (laughs) And so the fact that those that was the that was the praise for this book or for the sequel to this book was that it was better than its predecessor because the plot stayed on track and the characters
0: made sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well Amazing. I have a theory that this book is Okay, so something that some people do is if they have pornography on their computer, they will put it deep, dark away, like tax returns 98 or whatever. Now I like know that. what to
1: look for if I'm ever yeah, keeping Yeah, tax returns
0: 98. Um, I think that this book was handed out with little slips of paper that's like the sex scenes are on page 76 to 94 or whatever. And so they put the sex scenes in the middle of this book so that no one would ever find the sex scenes because no one would be able to read this book. And so it's all just like layers and layers of tax returns so that you can hide your pornography because it's gross and really explicit sex scenes and awful and bad and I hate it. And I, I don't know how it ends. I don't know where anything goes. Everything I know has nothing to do with anything. It The the town is supposed to be like this everyday kind of sh- evil where they're taking out on these Callahan boys and they didn't do nothing to deserve it, but the whole town kind of hates them. Like, you know, that genre where mm-hmm. like, but it's comical, like it's not when they go into the restaurant, the server is very rude to them or their mechanic bill comes back a little bit too much Subtle stuff like that that would happen in real life or a good book. Instead, old men give them the finger in the middle of the street and teenagers spit on them. Like, no one does that. I'm not from a super small town, but I cannot see an old man being like, I'll show those Callahan boys. I'll give them the finger. They join the Marines and their uncle is not only their recruiting officer, but also their commanding officer, which, no, in a thousand ways. And actually he's he doesn't know he's their uncle because he was adopted away from their family at a young age.
1: <sighs> I feel like this book is really causing an existential crisis for you. I like, I just want to hug you and tell you it's all going to be okay. Yeah, but
0: it's like when I read For Whom the Bell Tolls, which I know go white male authors, but like it's a really beautiful book. It's I loved it so hard. That book made me want to, like, write more than I had been writing. You know, like, oh, I'm never going to be this good. And I still was very, very inspired to write. So you think reading a book like this would only make me want to write all the harder, because I know for a fact that I can write better than this book. And it's just like, I just kind of want to be done with the written word. (laughs) Like, I'm with Plato on this one. The written word is just softening our children's minds. So... Biblioval. The end. Done. <laughs> That's all I can say about this book. I... If I don't talk about the sex scenes... If I read to page 104 and the sex scenes were 24 page. The sex scenes were over a quarter of what I read. <laughs> I'll just realize that.
1: <laughs> I feel like part of me just really wants to... Just revel in my triumph. Like, I have defeated you. I have found the worst book. Uh Here it is. This is it. It is called Midnight Sins. But I also, like, I feel like I've psychologically damaged you. I feel like I've caused you deep personal trauma, and I feel guilty about that. Yeah.
0: I accept your apology.
1: Oh, I'm not apologizing (laughs) because I still won. (laughs)
0: No, Um, that will do it uh, for the summary, because I have nothing more to say about this terrible book. I didn't even get a third of the way through, and it has ruined my life. (laughs) Not really. Um, So what I want to say on our way out is all the plugs that I've always been forgetting to say. Uh, Otherwise, I know that you have probably found this through one of the things that I'm going to plug, but needless to say, once we strike it rich and strike it big... Uh, I want everyone to come find our humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. So if you have somehow found this on SoundCloud through my clever use of like six hashtags, because I hate hashtags, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dickie Ma, which is D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can read the blog posts of the actual like written out things. There's a lot of details that we don't have time to say, or I, for one, really like to split it into two different perspectives to kind of show you the most of this book that I can uh, you can find that blog at uh, opinionsandother.blogspot.com or by searching parenthetical outburst or, frankly, by searching BiblioVile, and I'll put it in the dang link. So, uh, if Sue, do you have anything to plug that you would like to? Or... I mean,
1: if you're going to follow Mick on Twitter, you should probably follow me on Twitter, too, because I'm way funnier. Um, so I can be found at Susan J. so that is S, three u's s-a-n-j um
0: she's the funny one
1: that's true i'm the funny one
0: uh our music that goes in the title track that i've forgotten to talk about every single time is elixir babe of the night uh it is a song that we heard on npr and said that would be a good podcast intro song so don't sue us for anything ever uh once again thank you for listening this is a little bit shorter I hope it fits on SoundCloud underneath their three-hour limit. Uh, Otherwise, we might have to pay, like, $3 a month. So I can't see that stopping. Uh, That's all we've got. Sue, any closing remarks?
1: Have a good night, Charles.
0: And Matt, too. I love both of you very much. Bye.